0: Hi, welcome to Aria's Office Hours. I'm certified nurse midwife, Aria Pretlow, and I'm here to share evidence-based recommendations and answers to your questions about women's health. Let's get started. One of the hallmarks of nursing is patient education. In our undergraduate training, we learn to evaluate the research and synthesize recommendations. We then present the information to the patient in an understandable manner so that they can decide how they'd like to proceed. In our graduate education, we deepen these skills so that as Advanced Registered Nurse Practitioners, we can engage our patients in true, informed consent conversation. This involves evaluating the patient's level of understanding, making sure that I understand their goals, and balancing the evidence, which we call science, with the patient's desires as well as my professional expertise. In our doctorate education, we go beyond patient education and develop our role as leaders and educators, not just patient educators, but professors, lecturers, writers, any role that helps disseminate health information to a wider audience. This is where I am in my career, and this is why I'm branching out of my clinic space and into your subscriptions. Why don't more people talk about this? I hear this question all the time, especially when I talk about quote unquote taboo subjects like sexual wellness and perimenopause, common challenges of pregnancy, or even the basics of reproductive hormones and how changes in them can impact your mood, your sleep, your energy, and more. And all I can say is a lot of us are talking about it, but we're doing it one patient at a time. This is super impactful for that single patient but it is also slow, and it doesn't change social norms. We see that well-informed patients have better health outcomes. We hope that they will share their learning with others, spreading knowledge for greater benefits, like a pebble tossed in a pond causes ripples. The thing is, I am not a pebble, I am a tempest. I want to make more than ripples, I want to make waves. I want to provide knowledge that reconnects women with their innate power, reshapes the state of women's health, and changes the way that people talk about their health experiences. There is no denying that American healthcare is in crisis, and I would argue that women bear a disproportionate burden of this crisis. Consider. The maternal mortality rate continues to rise. Reference Hoyert to 2023. In 2019, there were 20.1 deaths per 100,000 live births. These are maternal deaths. In 2020, there were 23.8 deaths per 100,000 live births. And in 2021, there were 32.9 maternal deaths per 100,000 live births. My 10 cents. This is a complicated issue, and we have to take systemic injustices into consideration. The lower a woman's socioeconomic status the higher her risk for a number of pregnancy-related complications. Maternal mortality is higher for Black and Latinx than white women. People enter pregnancy in poorer health and at older ages than we used to, increasing the risk of developing conditions like hypertension of pregnancy or having a preterm baby. And, of course, COVID-19 has introduced a number of physiological and sociological complications for pregnant people. The thing is, we are also the spendingest—not a real word, but useful—of the developed countries when it comes to health care dollars. But money isn't changing this trend in maternal deaths. Meanwhile, the rate, of un- excuse me, the rate of unintended pregnancy remains alarmingly high, 43% in 2013, which is the most recent data the Centers for Disease Control and Prevention has, published on their website 2023. In 2008, research showed that 51% of pregnancies across all age groups were unintended. But when stratified by age group, the rate was as high as 75% for women aged 15 to 19 years. My 10 cents. This is, in part, due to deplorable quote-unquote sex education, when it's even permitted, Lack of access to reproductive health care, lack of access to contraception, lack of social currency to demand that male partners use condoms, etc., etc., etc. Given the risk of death when it comes to pregnancy, see maternal mortality above, is it at all reasonable for so many people to be at risk for something that is, in fact, preventable? Many perimenopausal women are not offered safe, affordable treatment options for intolerable symptoms. And I'm not just talking about hot flashes, but insomnia, rage, increased frequency of urinary tract infections, and more. And because people aren't educated about this physiologically normal life stage, they don't talk about it. Employed perimenopausal women may have symptoms bad enough to cause them to miss work, and this is estimated to cost the U.S. economy 1.8. million. Billion with a B dollars. This was published by Fabian et al. in 2023. I'm not sure anyone has calculated the individual cost, although I plan to look into it. My 10 cents. What if more of us talked about it, shared our concerns, learned from each other, and demanded that our healthcare providers take our symptoms and concerns seriously? I listen to a lot of science and women's health podcasts, and to a person, Any doctor interviewed to discuss perimenopause management says that they didn't really learn about it in their schooling. What the fuck? Menopause is coming for anyone born with functioning ovaries or who takes estrogen, if they ever discontinue it. But medical school leaves it out of gyne classes? This was not my experience in nurse midwifery school. We covered it in detail, and I am so grateful for that. Heart disease, which is a chronic, predominantly lifestyle-mediated disease, is the number one cause of death in American women, according to the CDC in 2023. Accounting for one of every five deaths, and it's one in every four deaths for men. But women have risk factors that men don't have, and most of them are related to our reproductive capacity. Early menarche, which is the first period, or early menopause, These might be due to metabolic disorders that are also associated with other risks, such as osteoporosis. Polycystic ovary syndrome, also a metabolic disorder. Gestational diabetes, having a preterm baby, having a baby with low or high birth weight, having high blood pressure condition in pregnancy. My 10 cents. Pregnancy has a tendency to reveal a person's underlying health vulnerabilities, such as cardiovascular disease and metabolic disorders. It isn't necessarily that pregnancy causes the increased lifetime risk, but that we know your risk is higher if you had one of these pregnancy-related conditions. And here's 10 more. The thing about heart disease is that there are many lifestyle interventions that can be used preventatively well before a woman develops high blood pressure. There are known risk factors for heart disease, some unmodifiable, like race, age, family history, and others modifiable, like smoking, tobacco, alcohol consumption, lack of exercise. If a woman has any unmodifiable risk factors, her healthcare provider should strive to help her tweak the modifiable ones so that she can lower her overall risk to the best of her ability. Instead, many providers don't bring up heart health until someone is diagnosed with hypertension. Partly because there just isn't enough time in an appointment to cover all the things. And finally, according to a recent systematic review and meta analysis, heterosexual women are significantly more likely to report rarely or never having an orgasm during sex than to report that they usually or always orgasm. In contrast, Lesbian women report having an orgasm during every or almost every sexual encounter nearly twice as frequently as heterosexual women. Reference Macedo et al. 2023. Let that soak in. Basically, if you're having sex with men, it is very likely that you aren't having an orgasm most of the time. My 10 cents. The problem isn't who a woman has sex with. The problem is lack of sex education. Many adult women grew up with shame about masturbation and female sexual expression. Many, maybe most, men weren't taught how female bodies orgasm. Example, the imperative of clitoral stimulation. And yes, I know that can be internal. The clitoral nerves are widespread. I don't just mean the clitoral glands. Still, unless they had a partner who knew her body and taught them. When I was a kid, sex ed focused on period management, eggs, and sperm, and made no mention of sexuality, consent, or pleasure. Nobody was taught about the clitoris except that it existed. So it doesn't surprise me that orgasms are hard to come by for women who have sex with men. Sexual wellness is integral to overall health. There's a lot I'd like to go into about this particular indicator of the poor state of women's health in America, so I'm going to make it a future newsletter edition. There is so much to discuss. What is sex? Who gets to define it? Is orgasm the only sign of sexual satisfaction? Should orgasm be the goal of sex? As a side note, I write, As a CNM, Certified Nurse Midwife, my scope includes trans women, non-binary people, and trans men who still have female reproductive parts that need tending to. This newsletter is my way of making broader change. A friend of mine suggested a newsletter as a means of reaching a wider audience. Let's prove her right. Read it or listen to it. Explore the references, share it with your people, and send in your questions. Together, we can all transform women's healthcare through education. My plan for now is a newsletter on the first and third Thursday of the month. All subscribers will have access to this content. The specific topics will vary, but I will endeavor to cover a broad range of women's health topics that cross the lifespan. If the topic doesn't apply to you or your age group, sure that you know someone who could benefit from it. Please share it and send me your questions. I want this to be like your favorite teacher's office hours. Come in, get comfortable, and ask your questions. I will keep them anonymous. Of course, I cannot provide individual medical advice or diagnoses on this platform. I can, however, provide education, resources, and an opportunity to feel less alone as you deepen your understanding of women's health. Eventually, I hope to have a paid subscription. My initial thoughts are that it would be an additional newsletter on the second and fourth Thursdays and or a deeper dive into the topics from the free newsletter and maybe a live stream question and answer session. I am open to suggestions. Health doesn't have to be confusing, and you don't have to figure it out alone. Subscribe today, and we'll start with our first hot topic on the third Thursday of November. Send me your questions. I guarantee that if you're wondering, other people are too. Take care, Aria. Because I cite my sources, I then have a list of references at the bottom of the newsletter and many opportunities there to subscribe. And so if you want to send in your questions, you can, of course, leave a comment on the newsletter. In that case, it will not be anonymous. You can always say you're asking for a friend. It doesn't really matter who's asking. Um, the questions are the key. And you can also send messages in, um, in stack, uh, sorry, in Substack. Um, so you could just send me a um, an in platform message and then I will do my best to to work it into one of the newsletters, and uh, we're going to try this out. A kind of a podcast where I narrate um, the newsletter for those who prefer to listen to it. Um, Eventually, I will probably offer some other interesting things, maybe some quick stories from clinic, maybe some case studies, maybe some useful exercises like breathing techniques that are evidence-based to really help decrease stress and therefore anxiety, things like that. So I hope that you enjoy this and I hope that you have a wonderful day.